You are listening to the Good Shepherd Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Our mission at Good Shepherd is to proclaim the gospel so that all people will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. One of the main ways we believe that we are accomplishing our mission is through the proclaimed word. We believe that the preached word creates and sustains the church. Our desire is to preach Christ crucified for you, which means we hope that Jesus is the substance and hero of every sermon and that Jesus is preached into the places of sin and brokenness into our hearts. We thank you for joining us and hope that you will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. Turn with me in, uh, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, or in your journals to page 18. Somebody confirm with me that it is 18, because I think I have a different journal than you, Mike. I have a black journal. I didn't get the cool illustrated, woe is me, wah, wah, wah. Uh, Acts, Acts 2.42, 18, awesome. So, page 18 on your, on your, in your journals, or you can turn to Acts 2.42 in your Bibles. It's about two-thirds of the way through in our Christian Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, are the Gospels. You can, you can find any one of those there. And then there's uh, the, the book of Acts right after those Gospel accounts. All right, so Acts chapter 2. We are wrapping up our conversation on Acts chapter 2. And uh, if you remember with me, um, we discussed that Acts chapter 2 is split up into three different ways. Uh, verses uh, 1 through about, um, let's say about 20, no, excuse me, about 13. Uh, we talked about the what of the Spirit. The Spirit comes on the scene, and there are some fireworks there. It's the, probably some of the crazy things that you, you might even know of with the Spirit's coming, where there's uh, tongues of fire and people talking in different languages. If you've been around Christianity at all, you may have heard of some of the weird things of maybe snake handling and people speaking in tongues and fire, and that stuff is in the Bible. Uh, but we talked about that in, in Acts chapter 2, in the early portions. In the middle of Acts chapter 2, we talked about the why of the Spirit, and really the Apostle Peter gives a sermon as to why the Spirit had to come, and we talked about that last week. Why did the Spirit have to come? Well, it is really because Jesus is both Lord and he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. And that sounds like a bunch of really good news to, to people like us. We would cheer on, yay, Jesus is Lord. Yay, Jesus is the Messiah. But Peter hits pretty hard with the left hook, and he says that's actually really bad news for those of us in sin because the reality is we crucified the one who is the Lord. We actually rejected the one that God had sent. And that's very bad news because the Spirit coming is really a sign of the times. It means salvation is here. It means there's really impending judgment that is looming over the enemies of God. And so Peter says, you, you are the ones who crucified this Lord and this one that God had sent. You're in trouble, in other words. It's coming for you. And the people are cut to the heart, it says. It says, holy cow, we see, we see our error. We see that we have made a poor choice. Things are not going well. And uh, we need to return or, or turn from our evil thinking, turn from our rejection of Christ, and be plunged headlong into his work. Uh, it's amazing to think of the very thing, the acts that uh, they were taking up against Jesus. They, they put him on a cross and they, they crucified him 
was the very thing that just a couple days later, a couple uh, weeks later, they would turn to for their only hope of salvation. The thing that they thought was this greatest triumph of human history of sacrificing this one that claimed to be the Messiah when truly he wasn't. And then they realize their, their error and they say, no, we actually are now clinging on to his, his death and resurrec- resurrection for our eternal life. And Peter says, if you, are, uh, if you repent from your ways and you are plunged into what Jesus has done for you, baptized into him, you will have your sins washed away and the Spirit will abide in you. So that is why the Spirit had to come. And then now we get to really the results of the Spirit in Acts 2, 42 and, and following to the end of the chapter. Really, you could say uh, this is the first um, telling of the fruits of the Spirit. You may have heard, uh, maybe seen it on a sign, uh, maybe heard in some, some Christian language, this idea of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and certainly that is true. Uh, but this, would, this could be the first indication of the fruit or the result of the Spirit's coming within the life of his church. So I want to read uh, the passage uh, really from Acts 2.42 to the end of the chapter. Um, it says, Luke says this in, in this account, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and uh, wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what does it look like when the Spirit comes and he fills the church? What does it look like after the Spirit has come and swept through the life of the church? We're going to look at that. There's, a couple, there's, there's really three things I want us to see tonight. And we'll see if we can get this uh, doodad working. Here we go. The results of the Spirit. The first thing I want to see is that the Spirit brings gospel clarity. The Spirit brings gospel clarity. We get this in Acts uh, 42. There are four things that Luke sets out here that they devoted themselves to. Um, and in, in my opinion, uh, Luke gives these, these things as kind of two different categories. If you look at, at the text there, um, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting thing if you look at it specifically. Go ahead and read with me Acts, 40, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, you have some, some weird things. If you're getting nerdy and super technical about words and things that you see in, in the text, uh, you'll see a couple things. Uh, they devoted themselves to, and then some, there's some definite articles here. The, we know this in Ohio, right? The apostles teaching. Like the Ohio, it's not just a Ohio State University. It's the, there's a definite article. It's, it's there to actually artic- articulate or set apart something or make something a little bit more specific. It's not just they devoted themselves to an apostle's teaching, just generically. They devoted themselves to the apostle's teaching. And you know that that definite article actually appears in the four other things that they devoted themselves to as well. The fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. 
So there's a specific kind of thing being talked about here. It, it, it's not really in the realm of just generic. There are some specific things, and of course, there's some speculation as to what the specificness would relate to, but just something to be noted to the definite articles, apostles' teaching. And it's significant for us here because the apostles' teaching actually means something. Um, it's, it's interesting that the church, in other words, was not merely devoted to the scriptures. Certainly we could say that that, that would be a wonderful thing to be, to, to be devoted to, to the, to the scriptures. Um, but at this point in time, remember, the apostles were firsthand witnesses to all that Jesus had done in his ministry, his, his life and his death, but also they were firsthand witnesses to his resurrection and to his ascension. And what had happened in the eyes of these apostles was something brand new in salvation history. So for them to actually see what they saw, they couldn't unsee and they couldn't unteach what was happening in the moment. And you got to remember too, it's not like they had Bibles or really fancy journals uh, walking around. They, they didn't have that. Really, the New Testament was, was being written. It was like real-time history here, real-time real news coming, coming to pass. And so they didn't have Bibles to kind of go after, but certainly they, they knew the Old Testament scriptures. The importance here was they were devoting themselves to what the apostles saw. And there's a couple things worth noting here. Um, you could see what the apostles were teaching through Peter's sermon from last week. If you remember, he quoted the Old Testament scriptures three times in that sermon. He quoted Joel once, and he quoted uh, David, the, the psalmist David, twice in that passage. What was, what was taught to them in the Old Testament scriptures was, in one sense, being reformulated. There was something specific. There was something brand new to all of the teaching through what the apostles had witnessed. So what the apostles were teaching was something brand new, even though it really was all the same. It's not like Jesus wasn't there, but really what Jesus had done in his cross and in his resurrection, these things were coming to light. And what the apostles were teaching, namely the realities and truths and significance of the gospel, was what they were devoting themselves to. Another way we really know this in Luke's uh, gospel account, you have the story of uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus. After his resurrection, Jesus made several resurrection appearances to his, his disciples, and really to the apostles. And he begins to unpack the Old Testament scriptures to them in ways that they had never seen before, but they were all in light of what Jesus had just done, what they saw with their eyes. The, the new covenant was, was like this light shining in, in their darkness at this moment. And so the, the New Testament church, filled with the Spirit, seeing what they had seen, uh, were, were giving themselves to what the apostles were teaching. And it's amazing to think through in verse 44, uh, all came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. This teaching was also um, established or confirmed through uh, specific acts and miracles that the apostles were sent to actually accomplish to verify that what they were teaching was actually true. They were devoting themselves, we, we would simply say, they were devoting themselves to the realities and the significance of the gospel. It's amazing, when the Spirit comes, he brings gospel clarity. He doesn't let us wallow in our law-striving in our Old Testament way of, of living, he actually comes to bring to us the brand new ways of Jesus. 
the ways of it is finished rather than just do it. The Spirit brings that kind of clarity. But the second thing we see that the church devotes themselves to, the, or the, the results of the Spirit here, the Spirit brings gospel community. It brings gospel clarity, but it brings also, uh, he also brings gospel community. He says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The fellowship. Fellowship here, uh, this, this Greek word that, that some of us would know, koinonia, uh, share, it has this idea of sharing or partnership or what we even say as one anothering. We'll get there in a little bit. But there is this idea of a sharing together. They devoted themselves to the sharing or to the partnership. And I think there are a couple things that we can see from this passage uh, that are significant when we talk about uh, a community, a church community that is gospel-centered and spirit Filled. I think the first thing that we can see is that we share in the life of God together. This fellowship, when we talk about they devoted themselves to the fellowship, well, what would that look like? Well, or what would that be? Well, it's they devoted themselves to sharing in the life of God, and they did this together. It's an amazing passage in 1 John 1 4. It's actually the the opening uh, words of the, the elderly apostle's uh, letter here. He says, he says this, which is really fascinating. Listen to this. That which was from the beginning. Remember, he was an apostle. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest to us, and we have seen it and testify to it, and, uh, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and which was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you, so that your joy may be complete. See, the apostle here, uh, John, who, who's a firsthand witness to all that Jesus had, had done, saying, saying, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another. It is this kind of fellowship that they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the fellowship with men. They were, sh- they were sharing in the life of God and sharing in it together. Well, what, does, what does this what does this look like? Because that's, that's very nice and that sounds really great, but what might this look like on, on the ground? Well, well, I got, got a little ahead of myself. I'm sorry, I got a little ahead of myself. Um, the first thing we, we see here, and this is where we, as we look at our text, you see the definite articles there, but you also see this word, to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. So you see a little bit of division of the first two things that they devoted themselves to, which which we just talked about, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. But then you have a second kind of, uh, it's almost like a a second kind of phrase, maybe a a, a specificity to the first phrase. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It kind of even like rhymes. It's kind of even like a, to the da-da-da and the da, and to the da-da-da and the da, you know? And th- the thinking there, in, in my estimation, it, it's hard to tell, and you can splice it up a gazillion different ways, but I might, I might even make the argument that the breaking of the bread and the prayers was an expression of the first two. It was an actual functional expression of what 
the uh, gospel clarity and gospel community actually was. So they had gospel clarity. They were given gospel community, gospel fellowship. But what did that look like? Well, it also looked like the breaking of bread and the prayers. And that could be an oversimplification. It certainly could. But regardless of all that, they they did devote themselves to it. But I'm making the case here that at least on a functional level, they devoted themselves to very specific things within the realm of gospel clarity and gospel community. So they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And again, the definite article here helps us understand that this isn't just any breaking of bread. This is nothing less than the Lord's Supper. This is nothing less than what Jesus had directed them to to take part in every time that they gathered together. As often as you eat this, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until, I, until you come. Jesus says, uh, it says this in Matthew's account, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said to them, saying, drink, uh, drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is actually giving himself to his people, saying, take, this is my body, this is my blood, take, take me in. Take all that I am and make it part of who you are. And this is part of the fellowship or the community that we share in, even from 1 John. This, this fellowship that we have with Jesus, whom they saw with their eyes and and touched with their hands, and probably even smelled with their noses. This kind of fellowship we are offered here, in the bread and the wine, saying, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. This is, this is me for you. Take, take me in, take fellowship, take community in me. This is what Paul backs up as well in 1 Corinthians. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break Is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. This breaking of bread, this meal that we often share together, almost every Sunday we take part of this meal, it is a a sign and it's also a reality of our communion. We share in fellowship with the Father and with Jesus Christ himself, and we share it together. We do it collectively. We don't do this individually. We say we are one, and just as we are one, we are one together in Jesus and with the Father. We share in that communion. But also we share together in the life of God through prayer. We fellowship. We have union with God. This is, this is why we pray in Jesus' name. This is why we invoke and we realize we are not showing up to the throne of grace by ourselves, but we are showing up to the throne of grace in fellowship with our Savior, in union with our Savior. It's the only hope we have that our prayers will be answered. And the Spirit himself intercedes for us as well. The Spirit himself who who knows our groanings, knows all that we feel, and knows how to express it with spiritual groanings to the Father, he does so. We fellowship with God, we fellowship with all three persons of the Trinity, even as we pray. And again, we do this certainly individually, but we do this together. This is why in in our community groups, I encourage us, we share a meal together. It's, it's significance, even in, even in the meal sharing, we're sharing, we're partaking of one another. Yes, even during COVID times, we are sharing germs. And we should, like, like oh, are we sharing germs? 
Yes, in some sense, we, we should. We should be doing that. Not, I'm not saying don't go spread your germs. I'm just saying we should, in community with one another, we, sh- we should share in who we are. Why? Because God has shared himself with us. And we do so in a, we do so in a spiritual way, certainly. But as we'll see later on, we must, we must do it in a, in a physical way as well. What, what good is spiritual union if we can't actually give to one another and serve one another and be a part of one another's lives? This is why Paul says in, in Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert. He's telling all the church, keep alert together with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is that fellowship that we have even in the prayers. And certainly there's a specificity here to the prayers. Maybe they had their own prayer book. Maybe this was actually just the Psalms that they were praying through. Maybe this is kind of just a colloquial term for their, their orders of worship that we might have. We, we have ours kind of electronically. Uh, I know some of you come from a church where they actually print an order of worship, and, and maybe that was their idea of make sure you're going through the prayers. You're praying in fellowship with one another through the prayers. It would be that, it would be that kind of idea as well. So they devoted themselves to these things, the apostles' teaching, to gospel clarity. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And again, this isn't just personal fellowship, you, God, and I time. This is all of us together sharing in the life of our triune God. Well, how might that look? Well, through the breaking of bread and through the prayers. So we share in our lives, uh, we share in the life of God together, but I think this is also an important applicational point we share our lives with one another. And it's really because we share in the life of God together that we do the second thing. We share our lives with one another. It's because of the God has shared his life with us that we share our lives with one another. It's amazing to read what what Luke says in verse 43. They were devoting themselves to the gospel clarity and to the fellowship in even some practical ways. And awe came upon every soul. And and this is even recorded before the signs and wonders being done. They were devoting themselves to these things, and awe came upon every soul. There was so much fellowship, there was so much community, the atmosphere of the church life, the sharing, the spiritual sharing, but also the the physical sharing going on, was, was so palpable that awe, fear, came upon every soul. As one commentator says, they were not awed by the church because of its buildings, its programs, or anything reflecting human ability, but by the supernatural character of the early church's life. They were not in awe because of the the church's buildings, programs, or anything reflecting human ability, but by the supernatural character of the church's life. May that May that reflect our church body as well. May people walk into our church body and even the atmosphere of our church body be such where they say, there is gospel clarity here. The good news tastes good here. And the community is reflective of that where there is sweet community with one another and all the differences, they love to share together. And boy, howdy, when these people sing and when these people pray, it's like, it's like there's a, a mental synergy going on here because the Spirit is just at work among these people. They share in the life of God and they do it together and it's reflective in the way that they care for one another. See, the reality is 
good news clarity creates good news culture. Good news clarity creates good news culture. And because Jesus has shared everything he has with you, and there is nothing missing from that, from that, from that phrase, because Jesus has shared everything he has with you, we now can share everything we have with our neighbor. The people sitting on the left and the right, the people yet to walk in the door, the people that we're talking with in our, in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. Because Jesus has freely loved you, you can spend your life freely loving your neighbor. And we see this totally reflected in the life of the church here. We keep reading in verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, it must be said here, because some of you probably got scary. You just came through an election. You read this, and you're probably reading it with some level of like uh, political or election mindset. And you say, I see communism in there. And I would say, no, you might think you do, and, but you don't. And I'd, maybe we could argue this idea that communism in the perfect world could work, whatever. I'm not getting into the weeds of that. The point of this is actually, and by the way, in the rest of the book of Acts, you see a bunch of people owning their own stuff. So you know that the rest of the church didn't have this kind of communistic mindset where literally everybody shared literally everything of all the time. That's not actually what happened. In, in chapter 5, we're going to get into a story um, with Ananias and Sapphira and, and stuff that happens there. And you can clearly tell uh, this is not some level of communistic society or a socialist society. But what you can say and what must be said and what must be yelled from the rooftops is that there's something to the gospel that allows you to hold on to your stuff with empty hands. There's something to the gospel because Jesus lived his life with open hands, not counting equality with God as something to be grasped and held on to. There's something about the freedom of the gospel, of God's love for you, that allows you to walk through your entire life with an open, generous hand. Maybe even looking to give stuff away. That certainly is the case. And that certainly is palpable as you read these words here. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Nothing, nothing was held back. Nothing, nothing, was, nothing was kind of uh, lopped off as like a don't tell the church that I have this kind of category because I don't want them finding out that I have this because if, if I told them I have a pickup truck, they're going to want to use it to move, which is inevitably what happens when you own a pickup truck. Don't hide your pickup trucks, especially. You guys have two pickup trucks. Um, they are selling all their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You can see that they were actually sacrificial with what they had. They were, they were looking to give things away so that they could actually meet needs. They didn't hold on to their things as something to be grasped, but they were fine with being made nothing. Let it, let it be of our church that there aren't needs. Not that we are not needy. We are certainly needy people. But let it be said of our church, this is, this is a church where you can have your needs met. This, this is a generous church. This is a give the shirt off your back kind of church. This is actually someplace you would send your, your neighbor or your coworker with needs and say, go find help. 
go, go find what your soul and what your heart is looking for. These people are generous. They will give. They will sacrificially give, just like Jesus has given to them. There was something palpable in the community about it. Go down to verse 47. They were having favor with all the people. The rest of the people saw this, and they saw that this was favorable. This was good. It was like this grace, this public grace from God that was dropped in their community because the church was so generous. There are about 94 one another verses in the New Testament. 94. And the, new, the, the one another kind of verses would be things like serve one another. In fact, I have a chart. Here, here just, a, just, a, just a very, very small sample. I said there's 94. I list, what, five there? Welcome one another. Be at peace with one another. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Confess your sin to one another. Serve one another. Prefer one another in other passages of Scripture. You can see this, this one another life is full in the New Testament. It's rich in the New Testament. It's, it packs it out. And the way that we can one another is because we have been eternally one another in the gospel. And a church that has gospel clarity in that, that all of our needs are truly met in Jesus, is free and freed up and even fueled for this one anothering life. Later on in the Apostle John's comments, remember the fellowship that we read about, um, he talks about this in in chapter 3. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, it's this kind of fellowship that we have together with God, our Savior, and this fellowship that we have uh, with one another would fuel us towards a sacrificial, loving movement towards our neighbors. I don't think the Apostle John's saying what he says in verse 17 to condemn people. I think he's just saying it it doesn't make any coherent sense why God would give up everything he has so that you can share in all that he owns, and yet we as his people are so stingy and, and wouldn't certainly, you, if, you have the, if you have the world's goods and you see your brother in need and you withhold, it just doesn't make sense. How does that, is there any love there? Is there anything tangible in there? It's hard to say that there would be. This doesn't make any coherent sense. The converse is true though. We are freed for giving everything. We are free when we have our, uh, the, the, the world's goods. We are free to love our neighbor. Why? Because we have been given absolutely everything that God owns. There's gospel clarity and there's gospel community. And there's a third thing that the Spirit brings to us in this passage. It says the Spirit brings gospel advance. Spirit brings gospel advance we see this in verse 46 and 47. Day by day, attending the temple, which is, which is really interesting. It's hard to know, like, were they still participating in Judaistic rituals, church temple rituals? It, it's hard to say. It seems like they might have. Maybe the gospel clarity needed a little bit more gospel clarity. Maybe that was going to happen. Certainly by the time Paul rolled around, Judaism was going get, to get kicked in the fanny a little bit for the church. But they were attending the temple together and, and breaking bread in their homes. 
and they, were, uh, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, both gospel clarity and gospel community speak loudly to a world that is void of hope. Gospel clarity and gospel community speak loudly to a world that is void of hope. And I do want to commend you guys because I've seen it at work already. I've already seen you guys in your missional community groups. You have served one another. You have given one to one another. You have been very open-handed with your time, with your resources, with your heart, sharing with one another in community. And I, I see that, and it is a wonderful thing to see. And I praise the Lord, and I look at our church, and I say, the Spirit has filled us. And it is an amazing thing to see people's needs being met, even without my knowledge or understanding. It just happens kind of organically. So it's like you are so impacted by what God has done for you personally that it just spills out in your church community. I love to see that. It's very, very encouraging. And I would say, keep that going. C- come, come to your community groups with open hands. How can I help? How can I serve? How can I give? Certainly, come on Sundays ready to hear all that Jesus has given you. But God added to their number because of the gospel clarity and the community that they were a part of. God is drawing and will continue to draw people to himself and has promised to use our witness to do so. He has promised to use the gospel clarity that we've received and the gospel community that God is building to build his church right here. He's promised to use those two very things here. And so let me, let me keep encouraging you to get very, very specific and clear about God's work for you in Jesus. Get very upfront and personal. Get, as we would say, get very gospel fluent. Be ready to talk about how Jesus has forgiven you of all of your sins with your neighbor. Be, be very uh, just ready to talk about all that Jesus has won for you in eternity, the security that he's given you, the eternal inheritance that he's given you. Be ready to talk about the hope that lies within you. Be, be ready to, to discuss those things. Be ready to, to talk about how you are free from the burden of shame and guilt that you feel because of your sin. Be ready to share with those around you of the people that you hang out with at church because it's just so fun to hang out with God's people. Be af- don't be afraid to talk about the relationships you have here at church and how they're, they're really stronger than just any earthly friendship. These are the people that you would walk through, through, through death with because they have the eternal words of life within them and the spirit within them. See, the reality is, personally, for all of us, Jesus loves you with everything he has. And that is absolutely true for you. He hasn't held anything back from you. He loves you with all that he has. So let's share that same love with one another and with our world and our church community and beyond. What does it look like when the Spirit fills a church? It's pretty amazing. It actually looks a lot like Jesus which if you were to ask the Spirit here if that's what he wanted, he would say, yeah, that's what I want. I was able to share with a friend of mine, uh, she asked an amazing question. Uh, she, she asked, uh, does God have humility? Which is a wonderful, insightful question. 
um, kind of floored me with like this like simplistic faith. Like, does God have humility? It's like, well, yeah, he, no, he does. Um, and I was able to, to tell her, like, listen, but we're actually talking about that this, this Sunday where the Spirit comes, the Spirit fills the entire church, the, the, the Spirit empowers the church, but at the, at the end of it, the, the fruit of all the Spirit's activity and all his work, it's like Jesus. It looks a lot like Jesus, and it retells the story of the gospel, and it fuels people with, with what Jesus has done for them. And it's like, it doesn't get more humble than that. The Spirit himself is this testament to somebody else. He's a, he's a missionary of somebody else. It deflects to somebody else. It's a, it's a wonderful kind of humility. But the Spirit filling a church is certainly uh, a, a humbling experience, but a spirit-filled church is a Jesus-looking church, a Jesus-smelling church. May God fill our hearts with his love so that we might spill it out for our neighbors. Let's pray. God, we come before the table yet again, your table, the table that you have set for us, the promise that you have given us, Father, this is not our testament or our, um, this is not a retelling of all the things that we have done for you. Father, this table is is a telling, it's a speaking, it's a proclamation of all that you have done for us. And Spirit, you are here with us and you are here attending your word the word in the pages of scripture, but also this word represented here through, through the bread and the wine. And Father, tonight we're asking that as we share in this meal together that you would meet with us here as you've promised. We pray that our fellowship wouldn't just be with the saints. Oh, that's glorious, Father. It's, it's glorious to come together with people who have different uh, political views and people with different backgrounds and people from diff- uh, with different hurts and experiences this week and yet we all come under the same roof and we b- proclaim the same hope. But Father, even how more glorious it is to say that you, the, the person of the Spirit, meet with us here tonight through this meal. So Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the fellowship that we have with God the Father and with God his Son and with God the Holy Spirit. May our fellowship be sweet and may our love be a testament to this gospel that we share. So we salvation come on to me